to introduce today's podcast guest, it's uh, Mr. Brian Gray, um, who is, um, I would say, probably at this point, a friend and a client of Next Level Solutions. Uh, Brian is the, are you vice president senior? I actually looked on your, um, on your mail tag on your email and you, you've, it's precariously off. So is yeah. it senior vice president, vice president? Vice president and CIO. Vice president, CIO of MedPro. Um, so MedPro is, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, the world's largest um, provider of medical malpractice insurance. Yep, or healthcare liability, but yeah. Healthcare liability. So we'll, we'll get into that a, a little bit more. Um, but, you know, the idea here, Brian, is um, it's pretty simple. We, <laughs> you and I have both worked in the insurance business kind of longer than we care to talk about. Um, and it's, you may have a similar experience. It's one of these, um, one of these industries that tends to move at times at a glacial pace. Um, and although, you know, podcasting isn't, um, new technology by any stretch of the imagination, I actually haven't seen, you know, a lot of companies in our industry and, you know, maybe the, the vendors that you work with or the vendors that, you know, I've, I've worked with in the past, even utilize the medium. Um, you know, you see interviews in print form, you know, kind of all over the place, but nothing yep. that really puts, you know, the, the name with the, the name with the face and the voice and, you know, kind of tell a story about, you know, some of these, um, executives in the space that, you know, we, we tend to work in and hold near and dear to our heart. So, you know, the idea is pretty simple is to, you know, do one of these, you know, kind of probably once a month, um, you know, you and I have both been doing it a long time. We, have, you know, probably, we, we know a lot of the same people in the same path. And I think, um, there's some interesting stories out there to tell, um, that I think some people might be interested in hearing, you know, especially for us, frankly, in our, you know, in our company, um, you know, we're hiring a lot of, you know, a lot of new people right out of college that are trying to figure out, you know, all right, now what do I do? Right. So, you know, out there in the industry are people like you that, you know, kind of did the same thing. And I think it's good for, you know, people to, to hear that story. So, um, so here we are. So thank you certainly for doing this. I know, <laughs> you, you know, it's a, it's a busy schedule when, um, when you're doing these on a Saturday afternoon, um, just before Notre Dame football, which I know is, um, you know, near and dear to your heart. So yeah. um, you in between early voting and Notre Dame football. That's right. That's right. You know, you know, it's a, it's, it's a busy time. So, so I, I know today you're, you're at home in, in beautiful scenic, uh, Carmel, Indiana. For those that don't know, it's a little suburb outside of, of Indianapolis. Um, so I know you've obviously been in Indiana a while. So is that, is that where you grew up? Like, was that home for you? Uh, not home for me, but home for my parents. So okay. my mom and dad from, Southwest Indiana, a little town called Vincennes, Indiana. It was actually the first uh, city in Indianapolis, and was the or in Indiana, and was the original capital. But oh, my okay. dad, was, my dad was drafted into the army in 1971, and then I was born in '72, and we kind of traveled the world together. And um, had a I have a younger brother, but we grew up kind of all over the place between Germany, Panama, and Georgia. Uh, and a little bit in Illinois, but we all came back to kind of roost in Indiana as we grew up. Yep. So, uh, which was, you know, I think one of the reasons you and I headed off, I think we're pretty much exactly the same age or, or, or pretty dang close to it. I was born in, born in 72 as well. So, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. That's, I didn't know that that was the, uh, the once the capital of, of, of Indiana. How far is it from Indianapolis? Uh, it's about two hour drive. Okay. Yep. I'm assuming I'm assuming through some cornfields would be my guess. 
uh, you have a couple of avenues to get there. But yes, one does go through a few cornfields. Yeah, yep. <laughs> The other one is I-70, and then you cut through cornfields. Yeah. So how long have you been in, in Carmel? Uh, Indianapolis, North Indianapolis, Carmel, 21 years. My wife and I were just calculating that the other day. So it's pretty much home for us, even though she's, she will not tell you she's from Indiana. She says she's from New Orleans and she lives in Indiana, which is fine. She was born and bred in, in, in uh, New Orleans. So, um, if anybody ever goes to Carmel, Indiana, it's the, um, the world's largest supplier of, um, roundabouts. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> There's yeah. hundreds yeah. of roundabouts and usually about every other one seems to have an accident at it at some point in time. So, yeah. And the good news is they've gotten far more efficient at putting them up now. So <laughs> <laughs> we have the most, we also grow the quickest. Yeah. As I, I think I told you this. So, um, as you know, I worked at Liberty Mutual for a while and they actually have an office right near your house on 96th street that I went to back in, 1999, 2000. Um, and I hadn't been there until you and I started working together. I don't know, probably three or four years ago or yeah. something like that. And it was almost unrecognizable. <laughs> the growth that's happened, um, in the Carmel area over the last, you know, 15 years. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So we've been in our current home for four years. And even in that time that this area has changed with the roundabouts and, overpasses and construction, it seems like at least monthly something new opens up around here. Yeah. So obviously you you and I kind of um, got into the technology world probably about the same time, um, you know, which back then it was, it was kind of different. I mean, there weren't a lot of, you know, technology programs out there in the world. The whole, you know, concept of, you know, desktop computing was, was fairly new. I mean, what, what got you in? I mean, what did, what did you do in high school for, you know, subjects and stuff like that, that kind of got yeah. you down this path? So I kind of uh, ended in technology and insurance by accident. So the ending in insurance by accident is pretty common in the space. I've met, you know, like two actuaries that set out as teenagers to be in the insurance industry. And the rest of us kind of landed there by, by coincidence. But um, so I actually took a little bit of a, a, I guess, a less conventional path into technology and from an education perspective too. So I worked um, out of high school. I went to night school. I actually took a COBOL class and failed it miserably. So that's my, that was my entry into uh, technology. Nice. Um, so I worked uh, for a number of years in civil service for the U.S. Air Force in Germany, and um, I ran athletic programs. So that's kind of what my first job was, and I thought that was going to be my career. I thought I was going to be an athletic director somewhere. And then downsizing happened, and um, we wanted to move back to the U.S., so I took a job in the automotive space. Um, I worked for Johnson Control, so a big supplier of automotive interiors to the, the U.S. auto industry. So the first question I have is, so how does one get this job in Germany? Like, was there an online classified ad in the local Indiana Star or something? Like, how does this happen? Yeah, I was actually in Germany because of my dad's career being in the military. So I uh, was in work in high school. And then graduated from high school um, in Germany. And then, but sort of, yes, there's a classified act. It's called, or add uh, morale for welfare and recreation or MWR is kind of like, think of it as your um, YMCA and sports club and all the gyms and the rec centers on base are all ran by that group. And they hire a lot of civilians and, and kids to work jobs. So that's kind of how I got into it. Ah, 
Very cool. And correct me if I'm wrong. That's where you met um, the saint that is now your wife. <clears throat> I did. I met Tracy there. We both uh, worked at the equivalent to the YMCA. It's called an AYA, American Youth Activities Center. Um, I worked in the sports department, and she was running a uh, summer camp. So. Very nice. So then you, at some point in time, convinced her to come back to Indiana with you? I, um, Yeah, via Michigan, if you can believe that or not. So I met a woman from New Orleans and Germany and brought her back to Michigan, Michigan. ultimately Indiana. But yeah, I worked in the automotive industry in Detroit for a few years uh, before I came to, before we came to Indiana, I started working. So then you decided, all right, let's get back to Indiana. And then did you work at Invesco? Is that right? No, I worked at Conseco. Conseco. D&O Financial. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of how I landed backwards into insurance. When I worked for Johnson Controls, I became kind of what would now be a product owner on some technology that we were implementing, had a knack for it. And then I actually moved to Indiana to kind of do the same job in manufacturing and the job fell through and I ended up at Conseco. They were doing a bunch of Y2K stuff. Yep. Um, and then believe it or not, if you've ever done a, an annuity conversion, there's this state control file. And then the system we were working in, we had 10,000 plans that we had to enable each state. And I was, it was mind numbing work. And I found some automation software laying around and worked a weekend and automated it. And that's how I got into it. So it's funny you say that all. So as we were talking earlier, we, we are hiring a lot of, younger technology people that are just kind of starting out in their career. And that's, you know, they all ask me like, Oh, so, you know, what do I do to get ahead? And, you know, my, my, one of my answers is find one thing to do (laughs) and do it better than (laughs) anybody else. And if you can do that, then you have an opportunity to kind of expand your horizons and do something else really well that nobody else can do. So I was completely self-serving, but yes, your message is right. Like, I did not see myself sitting there for three more weeks enabling a file at a time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then it kind of turned into, um, I guess, unlike many CIOs, I, w- I didn't start as a developer. I started as a tester. So I took that automation and then got into automated testing and load testing and stress testing and then gave a shot at development for a while. I am uh, capable but not not good. <laughs> See, that's <laughs> so it would be an overstatement of my ability. I get bored way too easy. Serviceable as a developer yeah. is not really the the, no, the top end of, of what you're looking for. No one's looking for that. That's right. So how long were you at Conseco? Uh, almost 10 years. Oh, wow. I actually didn't realize you were there that long. Yeah, I started in um, actuarial, what we call rate books. So it was a subset of actuarial doing those rate book conversions and then Ultimately got um, moved over to IT. We had a, a small kind of, you know, shadow IT shop in actuarial and got kind of ingrained in the IT group and then um, got my first opportunity to lead a development team then. Um, so what was your, was that the last thing you did there was kind of lead, lead development teams? No. So I actually did uh, performance and process management. So more of a kind of a strategy. We had three different companies that operated independent of one another and we were trying to unify our IT processes. So we had this project called One SDLC. So it was my job to kind of go get all of our development uh, processes kind of standardized across all three organizations. So, so that's the other um, the other thing I, I tell kids, if you really like math and you want a job for life, 
go yeah. become an actuary. Right. <laughs> There's, I, I read something, there are less um, certified actuaries on earth than there are surgeons. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't doubt. It's a tough road too. I know a lot of really, really smart people that have tried to be actuaries and either lost their patients or just didn't have what it takes. Yeah, it's it's brutal. And uh, like I said, when I worked for Liberty Mutual, we had a, obviously an online uh, posting board, and obviously it started with A. So like the first seven pages of it were always like hiring yeah. of actuaries. <laughs> it is just you can't ever hire enough of them. When I worked at Conseco <laughs> and I worked in the actuary department, we had students they were professionals that made really good money but they were being paid largely to take actuarial exams yep i was thinking to myself like hey this this might be an opportunity for me i can study i could do this and i started talking to one of them and i'm like yeah that's that's not it <laughs> yeah, i'm gonna have to find a different path yeah yeah actually the liberty mutual had a similar program um for for people that wanted to to become actuaries they basically paid them to study and it was the same thing when they started talking about some things and I was like, all right, time. No, all done. See you later. So I did well to get through Loma. I'm I'm good after Loma. <laughs> exactly. So so you left uh Conseco and went over you left there to go to protective Baldwin and Lions. Uh no. So I actually had a stop in between there. I went to work for a company called Admin Solutions that was a startup um funded by Conseco. Ah. So a non for profit 403Bs or like a 401k. Um, and there were some major kind of regulatory changes in that market. And we saw an opportunity to do plan administration for a non-for-profit. So I did that for about two and a half years, commuted back and forth to Philly. So I went from working from a company of whatever Conseco was, 3,000 at the time, I think that I left, to a company of 13 uh, with two of us in IT. So I learned quite a bit about what to do and what not to do uh, and. So when you, so you and I met, um, heck, I don't know, it's probably been four or five years. I was thinking you said it earlier. Yeah, I think it's close to five. Scary. Um, So you went to Baldwin and Lyons slash protective insurance there in in Carmel, Indiana. So what what was your first job there? My first job there was, I was a, we had two major writing companies, Protective and Sagamore. And then we rebranded to, to your point to Protective Insurance Corporation. But I ran an enhancements team for Protective, which had kind of the, the flagship product for their FedEx business. Line. So how how long in total were you there? Uh, ten and a half years. Okay. So yeah. you started fairly kind of low level in that company. And I mean, you were vice president and CIO when you left there. I mean, what was what yeah. what kind of got you kind of through that organization, frankly, yeah. relatively Timing. quickly? And it- Kind of a funny story too, Chris. So when I when I went there, nothing ever changed. And the organization was very flat. So even though I was a development manager, I was two steps below the CIO or CEO at that time. But nothing ever changed. My boss had been there for 12 years. His boss had been there for 27 years. I mean, I just walked around the building and met people. And I remember telling Tracy, if I stay longer than five years, something's wrong with me. Like, you got to encourage me to, to move on. This will be good to, to kind of settle in. I'd went to work for, I worked for Conseco when they went through bankruptcy. I worked for a startup that had some financial issues. So I was looking for stability and finishing my degree at the time, uh, my bachelor's degree. So I told her, I'm like, look, this is a good soft landing space, but five years max. And about six and a half is when the change really started happening. So I took over the development team and then we started doing more business with our broker on the FedEx account and then took over new development. 
And then in about 2012, 2013, maybe, um, I took over all of development. Uh, and then we had some unfortunate, you know, losses in our organization. My boss um, actually passed away from cancer. And so I was able to succeed him. So it was bittersweet. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, a couple more years of his tutelage and I would have been in a much better position, but kind of had to just deal with it and move on. Yeah. So what was that like? I mean, did you focus a lot on um, just kind of management practices and leadership and, you know, though, you know, I'm assuming at some point in time, you probably had to do something a little bit more strategic, maybe yeah. as far as, you know, visioning and vision casting and working with your business partners to figure out where the company was going to go. Yeah, I think the kind of the road, the path to get there, once I was in the seat, certainly I had to shift to a more strategic mindset, um, but really focusing on customers and communication and leadership has always been a core for me. So even though we were behind the scenes in the FedEx relationship, managing all the systems and integrations with the brokers was a big deal. Uh, so kind of keeping the customer and the business mindset. I've always had a problem when we look at IT in the business. Like I've always just not felt well when you say that. And it's one of my mantras, like it's IT and the business. We, we're part of the business. And right. I think changing that mindset in an organization is, is a biggest change is that you can make as a technical leader. It's less about some of the, the technical decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis. Those are obviously important. Um, but then partnering with your business partners and building trust so that one, they know that you're going to be honest with them. And then two, find a way to deliver on their business goals and then you get a lot more support. So it's funny, man. I, you know, I get to work with a lot of insurance companies and I, I lived at, you know, Liberty Mutual for a while. And it's interesting how, you know, the dynamics changing, not fast enough. I mean, you know, 1995, 1996, I mean, it was, you know, go make green screen, you know, COBOL systems, right? And hopefully we can produce policies. And it's, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of direct to consumer stuff now. There's, you, it, It's still interesting to me how there are some companies on one far end of it that are really good about embracing IT and, you know, using it as, you know, kind of a lever um, to, you know, do planning and deliver systems. And we still see some, it's like, just go sit over in the corner and we'll tell you what to do, <laughs> you know? So, and it's funny the you know some of the better well-run companies are the ones that really kind of embrace it and i think you know you're one of those guys that kind of gets you know get gets in the weeds with the business people and can talk their vernacular <laughs> and you know that's i think goes a, a long ways um into you know making you know executives obviously yeah i think i mean that's how we met right we had a change in executive leadership our ceo resigned and we had the, a new one come in, a successor that was already in the organization. And we wanted to expand our work comp line. And he came to me and said, hey, you got 13 states in. I need all of them in now. You know, make this happen. Our business is depending upon it. Um, and that's how I met you and in, in your organization. And that's where we started five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you, I thought you were that shit crazy to be quite frank with you. I remember so, that conversation. <laughs> um, but well, that's that's one of those things you can um, you can certainly hang on your career wall <laughs> when you can uh, get that many states up and running. And I don't know, it's like seven months or something, right? I mean, yeah, it, I think we ended up being eight. It was supposed to be seven. We had those three states that went a month over, but. We, I mean, you talk about agile project management. Our project plan was my whiteboard in my office, and we'd stand up every day and move stuff around and adjust to it with you know thirty people on a call and half business, half IT, but we got it done. 
So I, I know there's something else you did um, in your career there that you, I know you are very proud of and you should be because it's another one of those things when you told me that you were going to do it, I thought you were batshit crazy because I could never do it. Um, so you decided to go get your master's at, uh, or your MBA at, at Notre Dame. Um, yeah. So I know now you um, bleed Notre Dame gold and blue. So <clears throat> what was, what was that um, experience like other than kind of daunting and exhausting? I would think. Yeah. I mean, it was life changing. You, you talked about, um, and I say this all the time, the, the academic part of that MBA program was daunting and it was rigorous and tough. And some of it, I learned new stuff. Some I was revisiting, but I really learned how to think differently. And it, you know, when you look at the price tag of a Notre Dame MBA, you're probably thinking like, did you really learn to think that differently? Um, but I did. And I got a lot of exposure to different industries um, that I probably never would have at other places. And I have to credit the, the former CEO that I mentioned that left um, when, when Jim, my boss passed away and I started working for a guy named Joe DeVito, who was our CEO. He asked me what I wanted to do with my career. And I told him, you know, I'd like a COO role. And I needed to get an MBA or thought I needed to. And so he was like, oh, where are you going? I was looking at some local schools and he was like, you got to step your game up. If you're going to spend your time dedicating on an MBA, go go to one of the best MBA programs that you could ever think of. Start there. If you can't get in, fine. But, you know, don't mess around with it. If you're going to do it, do it where it matters. And um, he really changed the way I thought. And I only applied to, to Notre Dame. I didn't apply anywhere else. I had really? no B. Yeah. He didn't know that, <laughs> but that was my, I was either there or nowhere after he kind of put that in my head. I mean, it, it's, it's frankly cool that he frankly let you go do it because I mean, when you, when you have a full-time job that's as yeah. demanding as yours and he says, Hey, yeah. go, go do this. And I remember you, I mean, I think you'd go a week, a month there or something like that. Yeah. It's three days a month. Uh, so Thursday, Friday, Saturday, once a month, summer, once a week, but 22 months. And then it's a part-time job though. It's, even when yeah. you're not in class, it was 20 hours a week, easy. Yeah. Um, and sometimes more. But yeah. I, I would do it all over again, even in the middle of kind of becoming a CIO. I did delay for a year from the time I got accepted because I, I got promoted and to the CIO role at, at Protective. So I pushed it off a year, but then it ended up being that I switched jobs at the end because I started working for MedPro right. with about four or five months to go. Yep. And as it turns out, MedPro has had four others. I'm the fourth, but four people graduate from that program. So before I got there, one of my classmates actually worked for MedPro. Well, hopefully I know our, our mutual friend and other colleague of yours, Mara is going to be starting here. Yeah. So hopefully you can uh, give her some guidance on her journey. Yep. She's, she's well into the program and you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw her face and I'm like, I'm, I'm <laughs> I've seen that face in a mirror before. <laughs> So yeah, so you left, um, so you decided to, I think, do a, a career change probably, I don't know, a year and a half ago, maybe now? Yeah. yeah. S- something like that. Well, 19, 20 months. Yeah. Okay. Um, to, to make a, a change and um, go work for probably a, a little bit bigger company than kind of where you were at and certainly under the umbrella of a much bigger company than where you were at to go um, take the CIO job at, at MedPro. Um I mean, you probably had a pretty good gig. I think you were living maybe about two miles from your your, your current office, and you thought it was a good idea to go take a job two hours away from where you were yeah. living. So, what, what was that thought process like? What what kind of 
made you go challenge yourself? Yeah. So a couple of things, we went through a lot of change at protective. I was, uh, probably working on my fourth or fifth boss in five years. Um, and the med pro opportunity popped up. It actually popped up before I, I pursued it. Um, so they reached out to me or at least a recruiter did in maybe June of 2018. And then by October, the, the tables had kind of turned and I was looking for a change. Um, much to my wife's chagrin, to your point, I was six minutes away, thanks to the roundabouts in Carmel. Uh, six minutes and no stop signs or stop lights. Um, and we were hoping our next move would be a little further south, not north. So I went to northwest and northeast Indiana from central Indiana. But yeah, I mean, you know, you get an opportunity um, to work for a Berkshire Hathaway company. Uh, that was intriguing to me. The company's uh, about three times the market size is what I worked at before. Uh, oddly enough, they were doing a lot of the same technology, right? No short story here, but um, Next Level Solutions was a partner for Duck Creek at Protective and MedPro had already been working on and had a, a partnership with Duck Creek. So a lot of the same technology, believe it or not, uh, having been there almost 20 months now, there's a lot of similarity in insuring semi-trucks and doctors. Yeah. Um, and, you know, rating becomes rating at some point, but I, I found it to be an opportunity, one, to work for one of the greatest companies on the planet, and two, not have to learn everything from scratch, like changing industries. Right. I'd have to learn the industry and the technology. So, yes, I have a learning curve because, you know, Metro is huge and very diverse in the product offerings um, with 17 divisions and 10 different product lines. But I was able to speak the language. I knew the vendors, so I kind of had a comfort level. Yep. And then I knew, um, and our CEO, Tim Kennessy, told me this was going to be the biggest, hardest, most complicated thing I'd ever signed up to do, but it would also be the most rewarding. Yep. And he, he hit it on the head. So talk to me a little bit about what it's like. I mean, I think people would be fascinated to know. I mean, it, a lot of people are enamored with the Berkshire Hathaway um, yeah. name and company. I think it's, I don't know, top 10 largest companies on earth. Um, what's it like working there? Um, what were you surprised about and what, what, what do you like about it? Yeah. So I think two things uh, strike me. So working for a Berkshire Hathaway company is exactly what you may think it is if you listen to Bert, to Warren Buffett and his approach to acquisition. It's, I mean, there's certainly oversight and control and regulation, but we have autonomy. There's a reporting structure, um, but outside of, you know, a Berkshire Hathaway company, there's just not a whole lot of interaction. We do a lot of partnering and, and knowledge sharing. We compete openly with the Berkshire Hathaway family. I think that's the most intriguing um, part to me. There there are no rules about who you can sell against or not against. It's fair market. Um, and then that autonomy actually bleeds down into the MedPro culture. And the MedPro culture is, is what I bought, uh, just being quite honest. Far more Berkshire um, security, right? Having Berkshire Hathaway behind a company that's trying to do a, a huge business transformation, legacy transformation. Nice to know that we have the capital. Um, and we've had great results. I think Warren Buffett said uh, at least one time before that MedPro acquisition is the best one he's made um, or had it to at that point anyway. But the MedPro culture kind of lives on that autonomy. As, as a senior leader in the organization, corporate is there to support us and to give us oversight. But I was told the first day that I started, if you succeed, 
that's your win. And if you fail, that's your problem too. It's yeah. not, it's, we're not going to make these decisions for you at a corporate. So it's nice being able to be sort of an entrepreneur within an organization. And then the values that we live and that are on the, they're not just a piece of paper at MedPro. So we have a couple, but trust, transparency, and truth are kind of our core values and uncompromising integrity. But those three get lived out every day. I mean, I've never seen a more transparent and truthful organization. Um, and it goes up, down, and sideways through the organization. The org chart is, you know, a tool that we have to use for career development and other things, but it's not one that drives communication. So I've had, you know, biz, junior business analysts call me on the phone and challenge me on something I've said or not right. done anything. And, you know, vice versa. And I, I love that part of it. I'd rather deal with a problem head on than let it fester. Yeah, no, that's great. It's it's funny. Um, I mean, as you know, NLS, we work with several Berkshire Hathaway companies. Yeah. And, you know, we're a little 150-person company, right? <clears throat> and I've worked with a lot of, you know, really big companies. Um and listen, even inside of Berkshire Hathaway, I mean, we, we're working, you know, working with Geico, right? I mean, it's yeah. none bigger really than that. And it, it's amazing the synergies that our little company has with a company like Berkshire Hathaway. Like it, the stuff that they can push through pipelines and get resolved, and in the timely, in in the manner that it happens. It's unbelievable yeah. <laughs> for a company that size. I mean, they are every single person in that company seems to be empowered to make decisions and, you know, get things done. You know, they just it's yep. it's the Warren Buffett thing, right? We buy companies with good people and we empower them to go continue to do yeah. good things. Um, right. And it's really remarkable at, at just how true those those words are for us being this little company. And I think it's part of partly why we get along so well is because Heck, I, I'm the decision maker. <laughs> you, <laughs> That's right. If you got a problem, come see me. Um, and it's yep. kind of the same way with the Berkshire Hathaway companies. If it's it's a pretty short distance to the top of the decision makers inside of that company, it's it's um, it's pretty remarkable, <laughs> frankly. So, yeah, it's I, I can tell you this much: I've learned more about leadership in the the 20 months than I probably ever have in my career, and I've had great leaders and mentors in the past. Um, but it's just a, it's a different way to, to trust employees and hold them accountable, right. To really do that. I mean, people say that all the time, but it's easy to the old yeah. command and control philosophy. Um, but they live it and, and they do really well with it too. Yep. Well, so, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, Brian, is um, you and I, since um, COVID have seemed to adopted this homeless chic look that we yeah. have going on. I don't, I can't remember the last time a pair of scissors has touched my scalp. Um, it doesn't look like um, the battery in your razor has been charged up uh, anytime soon for at it least the, that's right for the bottom half you face. So, um, so obviously I know that you're, you know, I mean, you're a couple of hours away from, you know, your office. I know you, you bought a place up there with the intention of, you know, spending, you know, quite a bit of your week up there and probably haven't been doing that. So how's COVID affected you guys, if, if, if at all? Yeah, I mean, knock on wood, uh, not much at all. So we had, um, so most of our claims team, the claims adjudicators work remote. So we had at least some infrastructure to support it. They work in the jurisdictions that they adjudicate or, or service claims. But then for the most part, especially within ops and IT, so 100 or so people that report 
up into me and Keith Barnes, our, our business leader, all worked in the same office or at least in one of our offices. Um, we never had a distributed workforce. We have multiple locations and, and that's part of it, but we had never load tested our infrastructure either. Right. So, I, you know, we were planning on, I think, March 14th, may have been a Thursday to send everybody home and try it. And Wednesday, the day before, we had possible exposure to COVID in one of our facilities. So I get a call at 530 from our CEO saying, hey, you know, your test on Thursday. Yeah, it's tomorrow. <laughs> no one's working in the office. Good luck. So we like scramble. And, and like I said, fortunately, the infrastructure held up. People have been fantastic. I mean, We've, you know, changed the the mantra on the help desk. We're helping people troubleshoot their wireless connections and their networks at home. But we've really not seen a drop off in um, service, most importantly to our customers. And then within ops and IT, the collaboration, believe it or not, is better. And I think it's twofold. One, everybody's in the same position. So when we had two conference rooms, one in Philadelphia or one in New Jersey and, and one in Fort Wayne, you know, people would mute and have sidebars and they'd be distracted. And now everybody is sitting in front of their computer. We don't make them get on, but I, we just get a lot more people pay more attention. Um, I also am worried and, and we all are, I think, about the culture. Our culture is very important yeah. to us starting to onboard new people that we don't have relationships with. So how do we forge those? Um, but fortunately, you know, we haven't really seen a drop off in it. Um, and then from a overall organization, we've had a couple of hiccups with things like call center training. So we onboard new call center reps all the time. You used to go to your trainer's desk and plug in their headset, right? Plug into their phone. You got your headset, they got theirs and you do it. So we've had to look and solve some technical issues there, but we've been really fortunate. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think all good so far. Yeah, I know we, you know, we have similar issues. I mean, we're lucky enough. We have a pretty, you know, seasoned staff to a certain degree, but I mean, obviously we're always hiring and training as well. And I think that that's been the most difficult challenge is, you know, being able to, you know, take people that have never really done much with this technology and, yeah. you know, train them, shadow them, you know, make sure that they're getting all the you know, caring and nurturing they need to be yeah. successful. And we're still, you know, listen, we're still learning. We're still learning it and trying to get better at it every day. So yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a, it's definitely a, a difficult challenge for sure. Um, so what are, what are some of the um, kind of leadership things? Obviously they, they went on to look for a new CIO for whatever reason and picked you. So what were some of the, and, and rightfully so, uh, what were some of the kind of leadership things that you, you know, kind of instantly had to, you know, put in place, whether it be structurally or just communication channels? I mean, what, what, what was that like? Yeah, so um, it was a little bit interesting, too, because my transition, my predecessor was still there, um, was actually running right. for political office in Fort Wayne, and we weren't sure where his career was going to go. Um, great guy, great partner. So luckily, him and I, uh, he actually was part of the committee that hired me, so he kind of had to, to support me <laughs> once I was there. Yep. Um, but, you know, making changes to someone's body of work while they're looking at you in the face is off. It's a little bit different than when you just replace someone who is gone. Right. Um, so I took the first few months, just really, I was focused on Duck Creek. We were having lots of problems um, and issues with the Duck Creek implementation. So I kind of focused around that. And then after that, really started to focus on what our processes and kind of assessing where we were from a maturity perspective 
we had lots of great people at MedPro, um, very great technical people, but no real IT leadership. So the guy that I replaced was actually an attorney, great operational leader, but not a CIO. So I had to kind of come in and look at what we were doing from a technology process and reassess and and communicate with the business about why we were making the changes that we were going to make and, and structurally. So we took um, a few months, as you know, to kind of upgrade Duck Creek and get that kind of humming along in the right direction. And why we did that, we also redefined our SDLC yep. and kind of looked through roles and responsibilities and got some kind of standard structure in place and did some training for the team to to deliver on the legacy transformation program. Cool. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I've gone through a couple of those. It's, um, you know, it's always challenging when you go into a place that you don't know, you don't know anybody, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. And, um, it's usually, I mean, it's the best leaders that usually come out of those things, you know, the most, you know, the the most unscathed. So, um, we, we've changed our communication rhythm too. You just reminded me. So when I interviewed, I had to write a 90 day plan. Right. So that was as I was along the interview, longest interview process I've ever been in my life, by the way, six interviews over five months. But one of them was kind of what's your 90 days look like? What's your first 90 days look like? So I did. And then the second part of it was what's the role of the CIO? So I wrote a, a page and a half or whatever. And at the bottom, my closing was, look, the one thing I know for certain is that everything I've laid out above will change. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's where I intend to start. I will not in there. And then I did, we started doing monthly blog posts internally, just Keith and I, from a, a leadership perspective, sharing where we are and our observations. And I shared that with the entire company in my first one. Like it just happened to be on my one year anniversary. And I was like, I was right. <laughs> I was a hundred percent right. None of this crap happened. Yeah. I'm doing totally different stuff. But yeah. So I know, um, so I know one of the things that you enjoy doing a lot of is, um, mentoring and, you know, leadership. I know it's been an important part of your, your personal life as well. And I know it's something that you like to do at work. Um, what are some of the things that you tell, you know, some of your younger staff, um, that are, you know, either eager or not eager to, um, you know, the, I have a 20 year old, as you know, and they tend to have the attention span of a squirrel these days. So, um, what do you tell, um, you know, some of the younger staff that you're, that you bring on board to kind of for, from, from a career perspective? Yeah. So two things, one is find something that you're passionate about. I mean, it sounds too cliche, right. When you say that, but there's a, there is a lot of opportunity in what we do. Like I said earlier, no one sets out to go work in IT in an insurance company, but it is kind of cool and it's challenging and there are lots of facets. And I see people come in, especially young people, and we leverage, and I always have leverage interns a lot to kind of seed the organization. And they will have a mindset, like they know the job that they're going to do and what they want to do and nothing's going to change it. And then so many times they get in and they find out that that job is not interesting to them. It sounded like it was, they have all the technical skills to do it, but then, you know, you may think you want to be the world's greatest infrastructure architect. Go try being a business analyst, go try being a developer. And while you're early in your career, get exposure to more than just what you think your skills may, or your education may have set you up for. Because very few people, when you talk to like around an executive table at a company, very few people outside of a few, right? Like right. if your CFO doesn't have a degree in finance, you've got a problem. But 
most of the leaders in the company don't have the, they don't have degrees in the profession that they're working in. Right. Our CEO is an attorney and he's running an insurance company. There's some commonalities there, but he didn't set out, you know, to be to get his master's in risk management. So kind of take a look around the company and see, even if you know you want to be a technician, look at IT. And then secondly, is to just be authentic. I think there's something um, said to just being true to who you are um, and not try to anticipate what people think you need to be because you may have a certain background or education, but to, to try to maintain to, to be yourself no matter what you do. Yep. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's some good, some great advice. So speaking of um, education and lawyers, I know at one point in time you had told me that you at some point in your career would want to go to law school. Has, has that, has that lunacy passed or are you, uh, is that still uh, in the back of your mind? It's still in the back of my mind, (laughs) but every time it surfaces, like reality punches me in the nose. And like, I think I'm going to go to med pro university for a while. Uh, kind of figure that out before I take on something else. But I, I do think, um, that I will, I'll, I'll pursue some other level of education, whether it be a PhD or a JD, um, mostly because of what I want to do in retirement. So shortly here, I'm going to try to start um, adjunct professoring at a, a local school here. Oh, nice. I think ideally I'd like to, you know, teach college in my retirement or semi-retirement and having an advanced degree beyond a master's would help. Yeah. I mean, I think that would be, you know, from what I know about you, I mean, that seems like a a good fit. I know you love the mentoring and it's something that yeah. you've done your entire life. And I know you've taken some, some, some folks under your wing and probably helped them more than you'll ever know in their, in their life's journey. So I, yeah, I could see you doing that. I'm glad you're potentially not going to law school. It's tough enough to do contracts with you now. I don't need to yeah. make it any tougher. So <laughs> Although our attorneys do mention every once in a while, like you, you may have a gift. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, well, that's great, Brian. I, I appreciate that insight. So what are you, um, in this crazy world we live, live in these days, what are you doing for, what are you doing for fun? Yeah. So, uh, spending lots of time with, uh, Tracy. So being on the road and splitting time between Fort Wayne and life was getting really, really hectic, uh, between travel and just kind of keeping up with grandkids and all that stuff. So it's been nice to kind of step back and, you know, settle in and spend some time. We, have got to know more of our neighbors this year than we ever have um, just because mostly everybody's home and we're all walking. <laughs> right. More. Um, and so we all, we live in condos and we have balconies. So we do balcony parties and That's right. you can only have cocktails on your patio. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So we, we may pass a bottle of bourbon across a few balconies from time to time. Um, but yeah, and then we do, we've actually explored the Indiana state parks we have some great, really cool nature places here. So just last weekend, we went to Brown County, Indiana, and kind of drove through there and had a picnic. The leaves are changing. So we've tried to be outside a little bit more. Um, we socially distance with our grandkids. They're a huge part of our life. So it's been that's kind of been a negative, but it's also been good for them to kind of, you know, bond as a family. I think um, families have found, you know, some of that old tradition right. that maybe was missing. Um, and then we still stay in touch. You mentioned mentors. I have a great mentor who gave me my first management responsibility at Conseco 20 some years ago, a guy named Dan and his wife, Ferry. We practice retirement with them. We have dinner with them once a month. So now that COVID's kind of settled down, we we have a bond. So we isolate for 14 days and then we'll have dinner at each other's house. We stay in touch with them. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny how things 
tend to simplify themselves when you <laughs> when you you can't really do much and you have to you know spend a whole bunch of time with your significant other that you wouldn't have normally spent with them. So yeah, it's, and a uh, few you know home improvement projects that we didn't plan on doing, which is fine, but. That, that stresses a relationship from time to time, as you know, as well. Yeah, no, no doubt. Yeah. Well, I, <clears throat> well, as you know, with the, um, <laughs> we're looking at doing some construction and, you know, everything's 40% more expensive than it was, you know, Easy. eight months yeah. ago. And I think part of it is, you know, obviously COVID maybe shutting some plants and stuff down, but there's nothing else to do except work on your home. So <laughs> we have trade. We, I mean, there's, I don't know, 120 units in, in this, uh, neighborhood we live in there is a trades truck here every week at someone's house i mean granite balconies windows you name it we've seen more construction and home improvement happening in our neighborhood than we have since we moved here yeah that's crazy yeah that's awesome well good for you so hey listen man i i appreciate you doing this um you know hopefully um this is the first one of these we've done remote. I've done a couple of them down in our uh, Springfield office with, you know, face to face with some people. So um, I really appreciate it. And thank, thank uh, Tracy for letting you um, spend some of your weekend time with me to, to be able to do this. And um, you know, you've been a, a, a great, you know, business partner to work with for, for some time now and um, it, better yet, a, you know, a friend and, you know, somebody that, you know, really like and, and enjoy working with you. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and, uh, and uh, hopefully you can see it on our podcast here in the next uh, week or so. Yep. I look forward to it. Appreciate the partnership and the friendship. Yep. You know, man. So now it's uh, I I'm, I'm getting you off the hook just in time for uh N- Notre Dame kickoff. Who are they playing this week? They have Pitt. Well, if, if, if they lose that one, they will be, a, they'll have to hide the nooses. <clears throat> yeah. It's it still it is so weird for me watching Notre Dame football this way and not being, you know, I tailgate with a group of my classmates because it's another right. It's two hours away from my front door as well, so straight up the road. No, nobody in stands, right? I mean, it's empty or few. I think they had some last week, but no tailgating. I mean, it's not college football, right? It's so, a different I mean, experience for sure. It, yeah, it's totally different. It'll be interesting to see when things you know get back to normal. I think we're. I think people are optimistic, but I'm not sure how that's yeah, going to work. Yeah, I'm hoping we get to do a Steelers-New England game this year, but I'll, that's not going to happen either. Well, I'm not sure I want to go to a Steelers-New England game this year. <laughs> for, to be. One, for one in our five years, it would be beneficial for me to go. There. That's right. I could, I could see you threatening to never do business with us again if I yeah. don't go to Pittsburgh to see the <laughs> Patriots yeah. get their ass whooped for once. So. <laughs> I, I, I could see how that would be something that you would, you would make me do. So I wouldn't do that. Yeah, I know we haven't talked about that much. I think Steelers might be the best team in the AFC, my friend. They are looking good. Yeah. I don't jinx it, but yeah, I couldn't be happier. They can keep big Ben upright and healthy. I wouldn't want to play him. No, but see how it goes. Thanks, bud. I appreciate it.